Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303 292 9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. It's that time for the J Moore Tech Talk Show, where we answer questions about technology, explain the way they should work, and why they don't sometimes. And now here's your host. John C. Morley. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the J. Moore Tech Talk Show. It is great to be here on our first Friday, Marcus, of March. Where did that month of February, heck, where did January go? It's like they never existed for the most part. And here we are almost a full year into COVID also. And that's all changing and morphing, and pretty soon people are going to be getting back into live events. But I think we're going to have more of a hybrid world where there's going to be people that are going to still be in the cocoon, even though things are safe. Uh, They're going to be looking for an excuse to – it's not nice to say they don't want to go back to work because once things are safe, people are still making excuses, Marcus, and this is just so ridiculous. You got that right john hey whatever floats the boat for some people (laughs) but uh you have called these things in the past and that's why i call you prophet john (laughs) well you know i have a little quick story i'm not going to name the guilty parties but they know who they are so uh, about a few days ago this week uh, i was seen by a few million people on one of the networks and i wasn't doing anything bad I was giving my motivational tip of the day, which I do every single day. I pick a letter of the alphabet, and I give a tip of the day to improve the quality of your life. And lots of people liked it. (laughs) But uh, within a few days, it's like my third day of streaming, my streams went from 60 seconds to 30 seconds to then all the way down to 15 seconds, and then I couldn't stream past 7 seconds. And pretty soon on Sunday, I couldn't even stream at all past the second. It's like, sorry, your camera can't record. I'm like, what? I tried different network connections, different phones. I said, this is insane. And at first I thought it was maybe the network, the cable company. Then I thought maybe it's just an issue with the platform I'm using. I'm not going to mention the name. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, you know, I'll give it some time. But on Sunday, I could not stream my motivational tip. I said, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to record it like I used to do, and I'm just going to upload it. Seemed pretty smart, intelligent. Well, it worked. That night when I went home and I started to click different things in this platform, well, I couldn't click things. Certain things were not allowing me to click. I figured I'll reboot, check for updates, still no issues. And uh, I said, this is just getting so crazy. Uh, There's nothing that says I did anything wrong. And then all of a sudden, I get this notice that I have possibly breached a community standard. Mm. A security community (laughs) standard. And due to that reason, uh, my account has been suspended. And I'm scratching my head, Marcus, because I'm like, what did I do? And so they say it'll be about 30 days before they 
they check this out and that they want a copy of my passport and my social security number. I'm like, no, that ain't happening. So I also know knew that nothing was going to happen unless I took some action. So I decided to uh, figure out where the company's located. I knew where their headquarters were. And I filed a formal complaint with the Better Business Bureau. And I did one better. I filed one with the Department of Attorney General's office in their state. I then went to see, because they're publicly traded, most of these social platforms are, I pulled any company that was over 2% of investment in their uh, shares. I then mm-hmm. called these people and I emailed them a copy of the actual complaint that I uh, filed. And I just let them know, hey, you know, you don't know me, but I just want to let you know that since you have X shares, and I literally broke it down for each company. You own 11.2% at 10 billion or whatever. And I was like, so I just want to let you know that, uh, you know, you may be brought up uh, if charges are placed on this company because the people that uh, you invested in, well, they didn't act in a very professional manner. And I think they're um, just not being fair. And it has nothing to do with free speech because I should have free speech and it's nothing to do with security, I should say. But yet they say it was security infraction because that's how they were able to block me. Because if it was free speech, they can't just take me off the air for that reason. So strange thing happened, Marcus. I went to bed. took me about four hours to do this. This happened actually on uh, Tuesday of the week. So that Wednesday, uh, I had finished everything, got everything off to them. And um, now I am realizing that that Wednesday morning when I get up, I go to check this particular platform. And it says, welcome back. And I was like, that's interesting. And then I see all these things that they claim I did wrong. They just disappeared in a fraction of a second. So the moral of the story here, Marcus, is you don't own social media. Now, I don't think these people are going to play with me or jerk my chain again. Because I did tell them that if they do this again, I not only will mention them, uh, in a complaint, but I'll mention them on a show that broadcasts out to quite a few people, and I'll be sharing it to social media and letting people know exactly the type of company they really are. They hide behind the phone and don't answer it. And so I didn't get any response, but then I decided to be a gentleman. And that next yeah. day, I got on my uh, phone, did my stream, and I said, um, well, I want to thank everyone for you know watching my uh, motivational tips of the day. And I want to apologize to you for my two days of radio silence, and it was beyond my control. And I want to thank the two clowns, uh, because that's who they were. There were two clowns, I found out, that actually reported my content as being a security threat. So I want to thank them for being jealous of my broadcast and letting them know that, you know, in the future, you need to grow up. And, you know, raining on somebody else's parade because you're jealous is not the way to play. It's not professional, and it's going to ruin your reputation. And I said, the next time that this happens and I find out that somebody has done this and this was not because of some random action, because this wasn't happening because of a random action. Right. I not only will file a complaint against that company, I will personally come after and sue you. 
everyone got very quiet. They didn't want to comment on anything I said. They were just like, for a day or two, there was like this stillness, Marcus. But the moral <laughs> of the story is that, you know, when you're right about something, you really got to toot your horn and make sure that people know. Because why was I going to suddenly, you know, give in to this? Because maybe something wasn't to their standard, but it really was. Somebody made a click that said, hey, his content didn't comply. And their computer systems just said, okay, we're not even going to check it. We're just going to go ahead and just suspend him. And it was only because I took these extra actions, Marcus, that I was able to get back on. I said, you know what I'm here to do is build a community. Isn't that why you guys were created? Or are you guys just concerned about revenue and dollars and really don't care about people or the private data you actually extort from them? So that next day I posted some things on a couple platforms and I said, I want to take this opportunity to thank uh, the platform and especially all the investors, I'm not going to name them by name, for their help. I know they didn't call me back, but I know that contacting you obviously uh, got the needle to move in the right direction. And so I was very happy with my story. But the moral is, is that if you're right, you have to realize that you got to take action. I also did one other thing, Marcus. I published a story called uh, You Don't Own Social Media, the, the, the cost of the real cost of social media. And my story was the number one story in Silicon Valley the other day. Wow. I, I just, you know, I just, so all I did was just take a little thing. So, one person can make an, you know, make a difference, but you have to do the right things and you have to address it with a professionalism and a respect and also, you know, not an attitude toward them, but just looking at the facts. And I didn't get angry. I didn't get mad. At anybody. I said, gee, this is what's going on. I just filed mm -hmm. a complaint. I just want to make you aware of it. And I thought everyone else should know, including everybody on my social channels. Because what they did originally when I started filing the complaint before I called the all the investors, they said I was being suspended for posting something on a help board. Because I let the help board know what happened. And apparently that was a no-no. And that next morning, even that violation disappeared because they realized that I was right and they were wrong. So if you're right about something and you can look at the facts, address it. There's a really good shot that you're going to be able to really win. Most people don't win in social media because they have an attitude and because they try to attack the company. I didn't do that. I just filed a complaint, which anyone in the United States has the right to do. So remember, social media, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to I. Respect it, just like you respect water and electricity. They're utilities that we use in our world. <laughs> but, it, but, but it's the truth. So I had a good outcome, but I know yeah. a lot of people don't. Uh, when we talk about things happening now, uh, beside the media, you know, I've always been very interested in soccer. I'm not sure about you, but soccer has been something oh, yeah. uh, that always um, you know, kind of fueled me. I played soccer for a while. There is a company now. Yeah, very exciting sport. What's that? It's a very exciting sport. It, it definitely is. You know, you not only can you hit the ball with your leg, your knee, your back, 
uh, your elbow. Well, not your elbow, because that would be out of play, but your head. Uh, that's still in play. And certain parts of your body you can hit it with. Uh, but I believe if you hit it uh, with, like, your hands or uh, anything connected to, like, your extremities, you can use your legs. Uh, I believe you can even use your chest, but you can't use your hands or your arms. I think those are the only points yeah. that you're not allowed to use. You could use your feet. You can use your backside. You can use anything you want, but you just can't use your hands or your arms or, or it's out of play. Well, there's a company called Vio. I was really impressed by this. Soccer is really starting to change our world. And with this new sports technology, playing a more impactful role in coaching and analysis and player development is something that is going to change the entire world for the soccer sport across the nation. This new revolutionary, and you know what I'm going to say, Marcus, AI, artificial <laughs> intelligence, powered yeah. camera, lets you record soccer without a cameraman. That's pretty impressive. That Just is. set it and start yeah. it, and uh, the new VO does the rest. The 180-degree camera will record until you stop and save it, and then automatically upload when connected to the internet. So... They're getting uh, a lot of uh, requests about this and, uh, you know, uh, receiving the recordings from the game as a panoramic view of the entire field is something that's now going to be not just a concept, but actually a reality. Uh, the AI software then detects the ball to present you the broadcast view that follows the play of the ball. Very similar to what was happening, you know, in football, which they did a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. And you have the option to mark your own highlights, uh, download and or share them with other players, coaches, families, and friends. And today, 99% of all soccer matches don't get recorded. Did you know that? Yeah, that that's pretty like the most fascinating thing about this. And I, I found that quite surprising because these these matches, like they 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 bring in, you know, Fandom across the globe. Yeah, they 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 they, they go they go for blood uh, at these matches. They this do. is not a friendly <laughs> yeah, the, the fans soccer are or football game. <laughs> yeah, the, the soccer fans are more brutal than the football fans. I've found they are, <laughs> especially when I watch some yeah. of these Italian games, and I and I have Italian background from my mom's side. They really uh -huh. uh, they they go for the jugular. <laughs> you better not be in the goalpost because if you are, well, you're going to become a sandwich. And uh, <laughs> the soccer camera is going to be the complete solution, they're saying, for soccer recording, coaching, and analysis. So it's going to provide a lot of value to the game that's been missed. And I think the reason that it has been, let's say, uh, left out of the ballpark is because soccer is a very fast-moving game. Not that football isn't, but soccer moves a lot faster. Soccer's like ice hockey. And that moves really fast. So oh, yeah, you can't have traditional cameras following the puck or following uh, the soccer ball. I bet we're going to see this technology for ice hockey very soon. That is the perfect crossover. This this will definitely work for that. And boy, people are going to be on their seats for this. Uh, you can imagine what that's going to be like and how that's going to improve just strategy on the on the hockey field 
and much, much more. But I think it's going to help uh, people of all different ages, Marcus, that maybe didn't understand the sport so well, but they're going to get an understanding of how to play the sport better and be able yeah. to learn at all different ages. So I think that's going to be uh, quite amazing. And, you know, AI, we said it, it is really, it's really shaping um, our world. And I think yeah. there's a lot that's going to come to the table, but I'm still a little worried, Marcus. You know what I'm going to say about artificial intelligence and security. That's my biggest concern right now. Yeah, and I was talking with a gentleman the other day, and and the, the biggest stressor behind it is it's just like you know a firearm. You give it to the wrong person, they they're going to have wrong intentions with it. So as long as we you know are watching those bad actors and, and, and ensuring that we have things to combat those bad actors when they get their hands on this type of technology as is more accessible, I think we can have a fighting chance against things going wrong with AI. Well, you know, speaking about um, uh, the balls and things like that, let's talk mm-hmm. about a new type of soccer ball that's recently come out. It's actually called, uh, they call it dribble up. Now this is, this is amazing. This is a soccer ball that has artificial intelligence in it. Yeah, that's right. You heard me correctly. Um, it's supposed to be the most fun you can have in your living room. I just hope you don't uh, knock over the expensive china in the other room. <laughs> so Dribble Up uh, is this artificial intelligence ball that has lots of different things. It can uh, figure out how many juggles, which is basically when you're using the uh, soccer ball at the between the toe and like the metatarsal of, of your foot. And you're basically, you know, kind of like pushing it into like a circle. They call that a juggle. Uh, Say that word a million times fast. (laughs) I won't try. (laughs) So you're going to be able to, uh, you know, look at the, look at the reps. You're going to be able to uh, kick the ball. And recently they had a story uh, about a famous athlete that actually was kicking the ball and having a competition with someone. And they said, you know, I wouldn't want to play anybody in soccer or what he really should have said is I would play anybody in soccer except this guy because he thought soccer was hard. But when he played this one pro athlete with the ball, his world changed. And he's like, this person's intense. And so I think when you have artificial intelligence and when you can learn about how it actually uh, can make you a better player. I think that's the be all end all. But, you know, speaking about sports, Marcus, uh, an interesting sport uh, is uh, water skiing. You ever water skied before? No, um, I, I can't even swim for that matter. So <laughs> I don't think I'll you know, any water skis. <laughs> well, I'm actually a Pisces and uh, Pisces are supposed to love water. I do really enjoy water. Yeah. I love to swim. And uh, our next guest, who's coming up in just a moment, he is a skier and he's an active member uh, with the Powaki Lake Water Ski Club. Hopefully I've said that correctly. And uh, he is uh, a person that did something very remarkable. He actually figured out how to get people uh, to water ski that have disabilities. 
And uh, he is uh, proud to be the U.S. ambassador for the Disability Channel, which is also uh, here on the Transform You Media Network, uh, another fellow podcaster uh, with some other great people. And um, he is someone that is an engineer. He's very active in politics, but he just really wants to bring a level of education to people so that they can treat these people in the disability world not differently, but give them the accommodations that they need. And I believe that's something that our world is definitely lacking. Uh, you know, you have to have a real level of patience to do that. And you have to also understand that this is a world that you're going to get a lot of resistance in. So it's not a very easy thing to do, but the way he took water skiing and was able to transform and give people that have disabilities a way to water ski, I think is just quite amazing. Uh, please help me welcome uh, tonight to the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show, um, Kurt Ruskoff. Well, hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. I am pleased to have Kurt Ruskoff with me today, uh, another uh, podcaster from the wonderful Transform You Media Network. And he actually has um, one of his own shows, uh, The World of Ability. And he's here to talk to us today about the world of disability, maybe things that we're not quite sure about. And Kurt, you know, I have to ask you, this has always been something that is passion to me because, you know, when someone gets hurt and I broke my legs many years ago and you don't realize what it's like when you break your leg and then you can recover and you can walk again. But there's other people that things happen to them or they're born like this and then they can't go back to another way. So I'm very grateful for being able to walk and for everything I'm able to do. But I know this is something that's important for us uh, as a world, as a country uh, to embrace, because I feel a lot of people are just, I don't want to say ignorant, maybe they're just too busy. So I have to ask you, Kurt, what actually got you so passionate in wanting to be involved uh, with this type of program, with doing the podcasting? Just give us a little rundown on that, if you would. Well, first, the devotion in disability advocacy is sparked from a friend of mine who is um, a self-advocate, a public speaker, and I came to know him, and I happen to be a water skier, and I do water ski shows and with a team, and what I did is I set up with some of our water skier buddies to have... Um, him ski, he's a power wheelchair user, spastic cerebral palsy, and he would ski in a sit ski. Well, what happened was is he introduced us to another friend that's also has cerebral palsy, power wheelchair user, to sit in the sit ski instead for a show. And when we were all ready with him to go, um, I was told no by the president of our club and another board member. And what this did is it just, you know, really created a self-inspection for me because I started to think about, you know, why, why is this that we have a sit ski, we have everything we need, other buddies were ready to go with this, but leadership is telling me that this isn't going to happen. And so I really got in the middle of the barrier and it became very personal because I loved to water ski and I was all imbibed to share that you know, to ski with a buddy, 
and to say, okay, I'm going to do cut and jump skis, stand up, and my buddy is going to sit on a sit ski and we're going to ski together and it's going to be out in a show, which I've been loving to do uh, for 35 years. And we've been water skiing with people with disabilities for 30 years. And so with the podcasting, um, I connected to Marcus Hart because like we're doing right now, I thought this type of conversation needs to be available to other people. So thank you for bringing me to your audience. It is my pleasure. I, I love what you're doing uh, for the world. And, you know, bringing this message through is just, you know, such a, a warm hearted thing to do. You know, when we think about disabilities, because a lot of the viewers tonight may not actually know, can you just give us a quick rundown of what are the types of disabilities that we're talking about from the general to as specific as you can? Because I think education occur is probably one of the most important things that we can bring our viewers here tonight. Okay. Um, well, I say the conversation starter is when we look at people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, as uh, people in disability services say, the IDD community. And then we have the deaf community, the blind community, and people with physical disabilities. So those are significant factions of the disability community. And from there, we go to what we call intersectionality, you know, significant populations that have. Um, a good portion of people with disabilities in their communities. And so this would involve people living in chronic pain, uh, people who may have a mental health diagnosis, and people who may be having a goal of substance use reduction. So what that means is the last three are about that, you know, in those communities, there may be people who have um, their own personal situation, their own personal uh, profile is such that they actually are in that community with the disability and in social services, health and human services, um, those things tend to be bundled because in agency work, they like to, um, you know, kind of look at if people with disabilities are being served, you know, from maybe a more initial um, request that then if the disability component is there, we can regularly do it. So those are the seven um, populations I get people thinking about as I carry forward the conversation. And that's a good way to uh, introduce it is that it's really about understanding uh, from a very micro level as to, you know, what I don't want to say is wrong, but what is maybe different. And just because something's different doesn't make that person uh, a bad person, a good person. It just makes them different. And uh, it's no dim different than learning disabilities. Uh, one of our wisest person uh, that came before our time, Einstein, and several others uh, had learning disabilities. And I think uh, when we ex understand it from that perspective, you know, having this doesn't make the person bad. It just means that they learn differently or that they need some accommodations uh, that are needed, but they're very bright, intelligent people. And, you know, on July 26, 1990, uh, was a very important date in history, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, the Americans yeah. uh, with Disabilities Act was signed into law by President H.W. Bush. So what did that really mean, Kurt? Well, what that meant is that, you know, we saw the 80s be a time which I say is, is still 
uh, the last three. I don't think we've gotten out of the time yet. We haven't evolved. Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner all to a population where you know we're not relying on the veteran community to make sure we're committing to this as the entire US population and in agency work in the business community and all these institutions of our country um, we're not committed to it to the level to make it happen if it wasn't for the veteran community so injured wounded vets in the 80s is really what um, Put us over the top that that law passed. If you really look at the politics that were there and still are there, we still are in a situation where we're really not giving the balance in American life, you know, in the hands or in the lives of people with disabilities to the extent that it should. We're losing human resource uh, returns as a country. Because we're marginalizing, we're objectifying, and we're limiting people with disabilities on our side. So, so I agree with you that it's not a description of how limited Americans with disabilities are, or people in the world with disabilities are. It's the population of people like where I come from. You know, I came into this not identifying with a disability or not saying I was part of the disability community. And it was that incident that drew me in that I'm like, I'm going to commit to this because I realized my own flaws and my own faults that I was not operating the right paradigm myself. And when I had my aha moment, I started to feel responsibility to say, you know, in life, they say, what's it going to take an act of Congress? So that that's your point, John, is we felt in 1990, the reality that yes, it does take an act of Congress on this topic because people are building buildings, thinking of the 75% of the population of people that don't have a disability, and then saying, okay, now what do we got to do for the people with disabilities? It's not, it's not an inherent thing that we do out of knowing and dedicating to universal design and all of these other things. So, so that's what ADA means, is that we do need to be forced to do it as Americans or we're not, which is unfortunate. You're right. hundred percent. And when we say that someone needs ADA accommodations, obviously we think of things like a ramp. Uh, we might think of things like a loudspeaker so people can see, we think of a strobe so that they can get out. If uh, maybe they're not able to hear uh, um, a smoke alarm going off or a um, carbon monoxide alarm going off, what other types of accommodations uh, are generally needed uh, by the ADA populations that may not be so inherent to know about? Well, you know, there's like, as an example, um, you know, the colorblind community 
you know, if somebody's colorblind, when we have our visuals on screens or out in the environment, you know, people who are colorblind um, have their factor that the environment or a computer screen or on a device is not friendly for them and, you know, has different discomforts and pain elements. Um, there's things like fragrances. You know, you wouldn't think of that. You know, if somebody has a chemical insensitivity, they're protected by ADA because that could affect their inclusion, you know, in events or at the workplace or in the, in the medical environments or in travel, you know, if um, we're using those fragrances and stuff like that. So, um, you know, there may be, you know, companion, um, well, I, I don't want to say companion animals or pets or not really wouldn't be pets then, or there'd be service animals and um, there might be emotional support animals and so forth. There's all these different things that, you know, enter into it. So yeah, for sure, the deaf community for sign language interpreters, having things transcribe, um, like you've done for, you know, one of our World of Ability shows, you've uh, transcribed that for us. And um, for the um, blind community, that if they're not benefiting from, um, you know, the visuals, that we say, oh, the J. Moore logo, you know, is blue. It's got a little, you know, red, um, you know, lining in the background. And, you know, and it just, or to say, like, I'm wearing black glasses and stuff like this so that people can, you know, kind of participate, but but things are verbalized, you know. It's so it's, like it's, going it's like in a building where, uh you know, you're walking around and you would see these bumps for Braille so that uh, blind people can actually find the numbers to a doctor's office, to a location, something like that. So there's something else that's important. And ADA is not something that's just for getting around to hospitals or public buildings, but there's something called ADA in the workplace and reasonable accommodations. What does that refer to, Kurt? Because I know a lot of employers don't want to do this. And it's not just making your doors accessible for wheelchairs. It's reasonable accommodations for someone with a uh, disability. So what does that really mean to an employer? Because it sounds a little confusing. Well, everything is individualized for the employee or the, or the worker um, could be an independent contractor, you know, whatever it means. Um, say somebody is a member of the, um, you know, community of people with autism or something like that. And, you know, there's a sensory challenge, you know, so an accommodation could be to, to um, make sure we're assigning somebody to work in a quiet place. Um, it could be um, dexterity issues. Like if somebody has mobility challenges to have like a trackball mouse or something like that, because there may be limited finger movement. Um, it could be if, if somebody is blind, that we make sure all of our, um, you know, computer systems or all of our devices and everything work friendly with all that assistive technology that people in the blind community use to turn the visual stuff into audible, you know, participation and vice versa. Um, it could be if somebody's in the deaf community that we start to give resources in for a sign language interpreter in the transcription, um, you know, it could run the gamut. I mean, in the mental health community, you know, we could talk about agoraphobia, 
you know, so to make sure that we're not formatting work that somebody's a part of a conference or something because their mental health diagnosis falls into that they get shut down if they're if they're in rooms with a lot of people. So that's not their environment that way. So it, it's it's a lot of things that could be. So just to pay attention to the individual and help them do the work that they're hired to do. And I think what you mentioned about people being in a room, especially like in a courtroom, a lot of times attorneys do this intentionally and it's wrong. And they're actually directly abusing the person because they're playing on their weakness. It's almost like, you know, Superman, uh, we don't talk about superheroes a lot, but Superman actually uh, in the cartoon uh, is allergic to kryptonite. So it's like um, we're putting the kryptonite of these people who have an ADA disability in front of them, which is really not fair. I have to divulge back to uh, someone that I think was really great. So many of you may not know, um, I don't share it often, but I'm an Eagle Scout. And uh, the reason I bring this up is when I was doing my Eagle Scout project, I wanted to do something that people would remember and that wasn't going to be, you know, something that was just going to go away or to get a badge just because it was something for me. I wanted to do something that was going to be in people's lives forever and ever. And so I uh, worked with a foundation called the Wayne Handicap Foundation. And this is when my eyes opened up. And there was a great gentleman. His name is Gene. Uh, God bless his soul. He's actually passed away uh, many years ago uh, because I became an Eagle Scout. I believe it was in 1983. Uh, You had to make it, I believe, by your 19th birthday. And um, when I was doing this uh, program, I said, I want to do something for Gene and for the center. And so I decided to do a holiday party. You couldn't mention Christmas or Hanukkah. You had to keep it uh, secular. So I did uh, a holiday party. But that was a lot of work because not only did I have to get the people, get the Santa Claus, and get the companies to donate things uh, like the perfumes, et cetera, and have them wrapped. But there was something that was really interesting is that I needed to uh, create more of a party environment. And, you know, doing this, the money had to come out of my pocket or from donations. So I reached out to a company. And I usually don't mention companies on the show, but I really do want to say thank you to this company. And I can't thank them enough. The company is actually in Clifton, New Jersey, and they're called AGL Welding Supply Company. Uh, They're at 600 US 46 Clifton, New Jersey, 07013-973-478-5000. And again, I don't mention companies, but the reason I want to do this is I um, called this company up because I knew they did all types of gas, helium and all the things for the hospital. And so I reached out to them and I asked them if they would be willing to donate um, some helium for my uh, scalp project. I said, it's for um, the Wayne Handicap Foundation. We're doing a holiday party. And um, secretary took took my information and the owner called me back and he says, uh, we'd be happy to do that. We're definitely in support of that. And I said, gee, this is really nice of him. And so when I went out there, I said, you know, I'm really grateful for what you're doing for, uh, for me, for the Wayne Handicap Foundation people. This is going to be a great party. He says, well, you know, I think what you're doing is great. But I have to tell you, the reason that I'm helping you so much is because uh, my son has a disability. And I want to show you something. And below his uh, main floor, their, their sales floor, 
they had geared it for people with wheelchairs. His son was in a wheelchair and he felt that a lot of people didn't give them a break or even give them a chance. And I thought this was so great that he hires people uh, in wheelchairs and he's really got his whole operation down there set up to work from wheelchairs, which you never hear this. They make things uh, so that you can accommodate them, but they never really rework the whole entire manufacturing. So his son had the disability and uh, I was just very grateful for what he did. He donated several um, containers of helium. But again, we don't hear about this every day. I wish there was some type of a um, a board or a consortium so that people that have this could come together. I don't know of any like that uh, in New Jersey or even in the state. Does anything like that exist, Kurt? Well... I mean, I'll give an example of a city here local to me. They, they have a Citizens with Disabilities group that advises the, um, you know, the city council. But it, it's not what you're talking about. So, so what I'm advocating for, John, is I'm looking at what I've heard as collective impact. And so that's kind of something you can Google or whatever and see kind of what's done out there and, and how I format it is I say we need to get faith leaders coming forward and we need to get people in the service sector with these nonprofits, let people name their few, like you were talking about yours, you know, but Lions, Kiwanis, Rotary, Optimist Club, whatever, from the educational community because they're, they're creating a situation that, you know, when people get degreed, get their PhDs or get their master's degrees or whatever, what they're going to go into the workforce um, to do. And then in government work, there's these advisory boards or governor's committees or things like that, that we need to um, get this input there. And then in the business community, chambers of commerce need to commit to this. You know, the Happy Neighborhood Project that I'm promoting that we do something there. But to me, when those five elements come together, faith community, service sector, educational community, people in politics and uh, right in the agency work, doing that presently, and then in the business community and create like Zoom meetings or whatever where we can all come together and take... Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, a collective responsibility so that an individual can come to this, you know, collective group in the community and then have the movers and shakers say, okay, we're going to help this individual get a better experience in our marketplace because we take responsibility for that. It's almost, Kurt, like the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Now, that's a little bit different. They help grant uh, children uh, their wishes in life. Uh, because they don't know how long they're going to live. Maybe it's taking a trip to Disney or going around the world 
or having some unique once in a lifetime experience and uh, or maybe it's even going to a football game or uh, having prime seats, uh, whatever it is, something that a lot of people their age don't usually get the opportunity to do. And I think in the ADA and with what you're advocating, uh, you know, I'm also president of the Franklin Lakes Chamber, a 501c3 organization. I think it's great, but the only challenge is that it needs to be spelled out. It needs to be a standard. You see, when you get uh, organizations involved, you get government involved, there has to be a benchmark. I know because I've done this for many years, and it has to be all written down. On our page, franklinlakeschamber.org, we actually have an about us section, and on there, we actually have uh, basically something we've adopted because we believe very, very strongly in the fact that you know people can say things every single day. Uh, but it's another thing to pass a resolution. So we passed a stigma-free resolution on our site uh, and for our chamber uh, many years ago. And that basically states in English that we will not discriminate for race, religion, sexual orientation, uh, any type of disability, anything. And I think that's important. But I think a lot of people, Kurt, they get scared because, you know, when you say reasonable accommodation, they need more education. So if there's like a uh, publication or there's a guideline to what it's going to be, then that needs to be adopted by local government. And then when the local government or the county adopts it, everyone is more willing to buy in. Now that we've created this resolution, more and more businesses are willing to sign on with it because of what it means. A lot of times when somebody becomes part of a cause, they get scared because they don't know what the commitment is or what they're putting themselves up for, if that, if that makes any kind of sense. It absolutely does. So, so when we talk about ADA, that, that to me was our 1990 accomplishment. So, so aside from that we have an updated ADA, there is um, you know, the field of universal design, which took that 1990 accomplishment, and it kept going with it over the last 30 years, and so that can be found if you Google universal design. And in work online, the worldwide community created what's called the WCAG 2.0 compliance. Um, so basically, if um, people look to those standards, you know, that can help steer, you know, what's happening online. And then in terms of devices like cell phones or in facilities like um, hearing loops and stuff like this, you know, there, there's a whole uh, field of global, public, inclusive infrastructure. You know, so if people Google GPII for global, public, inclusive infrastructure can get a lot of exact details, you know, there. And there's like a whole assistive technology field. And, you know, so people can get as specific as they want, for sure. To uh, paint a picture for people, because a lot of people, you know, we think in pictures, not in words. and to put some perspective on this for some people, let's think about a key, for example. And this is one example. And if there were two little holsters on the key, maybe someone has disabilities, can't hold it with one finger. So they need a way to put it between their two fingers so they could turn the key and have that fulcrum that someone else may not have. Uh, so I think that's uh, important. Another thing, let's talk about hot or cold water. This is one that I love. Uh, when the water is cold, well, we know it's cold, 
But someone that may not quite understand what that means, they need a kick, a polite kick before they get burnt. We always say when you touch the stove, you quick pull your hand away and you won't do that again. Well, we don't really want to teach people to do that. But then we don't also want to scare people because now if they touch the water and they burn themselves, they're going to think it's always going to be burning. So that's going to be a bad stimulus. So one company came out with something which is remarkable, and I want to get them on as a guest sometime. They have a, uh, a faucet that when you turn it on, the water is blue when it's cold. And when it's hot, it's red. So the hotter it is, it gets like a bur- So I think that is just ingenious uh, to where it's going. And these are not uh, terribly expensive accommodations. And they're things... I believe that should be part of any building structure. I know the building code people would probably kill me, uh, but it's something that I believe is um, really not above a big price tag. I think the problem with a lot of ADA is everyone believes, or at least back in the 90s, people, including contractors, were ripping others off for doing ADA. And I think that's unfair. Uh, It should be a reasonable accommodation. It costs a little more money. Maybe an ADA switch isn't double. Maybe it costs a little more money, but it shouldn't be double. I think that's the reason why people have stayed away from ADA because it took their construction project from, let's say, if it was $100,000, it made it $200,000 or $250,000. And that's just not fair. Is there anything being done, Kurt, to make sure that prices are not exploded or extorted on people that are trying to do the right thing for the ADA community? As far as I know, John, I think that still is by the natural forces of the marketplace and, you know, up to individuals and the parties involved to advocate for their particular situation and put some pressure on, um, you know, on the case by case basis. I mean, the laws are there. So that's what we're talking about is just going to the law and seeing what we can do to force this um, fair market value you know, situation, um, you know, but other than that, I would say that, you know, it, it's something that, you know, I think it's an all hands on deck initiative. You know, I think we need people to be involved in, um, in some of what we were talking about before I was thinking about like EMFs, you know, electromagnetic fields, you know, there's a population of people out there that are very, uh, affected by, you know, our electromagnetic fields, our Wi-Fi's and our cellular towers and stuff like that. And if they're in a place where that's too concentrated for them, that can shut them down and have a severe medical, you know, impact. So, so um, I think sports and rec and uh, hobbies, pastime, leisure activities, this whole realm of life where we enjoy life and who we do that with, um, you know, what we started with at the beginning of this, where I told my story about water skiing, you know, I participated in something that brought 50 sports rec disciplines together and gave, you know, on a Saturday, you know, to guests, you know, an experience of actually doing that. And so what I've seen is that we get guests who are in the disability community to experience that. But I think if we look at the fun we have going to movies um, you know, watching movies or um, everything we do online, you know, if we keep thinking, are we including, are we uh, making it favorable to people with disabilities? Um, I think it's uh, an evolving process because to your points, all these refining um, concerns, 
you know, are left to very isolated instances. So I think it's like we need to have something that coalesces them into a more widespread position so that it, it collects more numbers so that we can get stakeholders involved and put some more pressure to it. So it's not one person, um, you know, trying to, you know, fight hard for their own personal rights and mm-hmm. then much, you know, like it'll never get done. And then they just kind of succumb to it. It's really about inclusion, I think is, is the, is the magic bullet and people have to kind of get behind that. But I believe the other challenge beside education that's keeping our world right now from, let's say, jetting into the future with this uh, initiative faster than it could be, is that there's a lot of people that need accommodations. I know several of them. I do believe, though, there are some people that try to get accommodations that are not entitled to them. Now, that's not everybody, but I've seen that. And I think the challenge becomes if you're a business owner or you're a homeowner, you know, who do I really need to give the accommodations to? Do they really need them? Is there a certification card? I mean, it's not like we're calling them on the carpet, but we want some kind of proof. Like if you go to school and you have a learning disability, you need to have a test or show some proof that you need that extra accommodation. Maybe it's a untimed test. Maybe it's being able to, uh, you know, record the lectures. And uh, but you have to give written proof. I think that's the missing link in the uh, ADA community that at least for businesses and associations, because there are people that are trying to fraud the system, which is not nice to say, Kirk. Yeah, there are those people, you know, the, you know, the apple that spoils the bunch or, you know, are upsetting the apple cart type of thing. Um, But, um, you know, I think, you know, yeah, we definitely have to keep dealing with that, but we can't, or I advocate to not let those, you know, um, you know, very small uh, proportion of the instances drive this. I think we're, we're really finding that it's more on the other side that, you know, ignorance is bliss or people just not following it, or it's just very tough to have these conversations, um, you know, to help build what this is all coming to is to say, I used to be in the golf business. I used to have a golf course and there's the stand up and play foundation today and they have paramobile units. So, so be, like from a golf industry standpoint, I wouldn't advocate that we need to require all golf courses to buy up these paramobile units, but the stand up and play foundation is that 501c3 organization that gets the philanthropic community together to say, let's fund the, this equipment and let's make that available so that people with disabilities, with physical disabilities can go out to the golf courses and enjoy the game of golf. So to me, it's a conversation that the legal community needs to get together with the philanthropic community and the 51c3 groups need to rally in America to say let's you know let's build up these opportunities to help America overcome these financial barriers because the IRS gives us these uh, tax formats to do it. That's true. I think the part of the magic is that if we can get uh, the standard changed, in the building codes, which is not easy. And then say, this is what's required. Now this might cost an extra whatever. Okay. And this is a mandated price set by a fair group. It says, this is 
kind of like, you know, when you buy a diamond or you go to buy, not a car because they play games, but certain things have a book value and then the list value and what they affair that they have to sell it around. Like online, there's certain organizations that if you sell it above that, you can lose your ability to resell that product. So I think something similar to that, that's, that's kind of policed and audited. And then if they can't afford that extra, let's say it's $20,000 or whatever it is, and they truly can't afford that, then, okay, we know you need to build this. We know it needs to be built this way. And I understand you can't, you know, pay the extra 20,000 or 10,000 or 50,000. We have three 501c3s that we work with and they will usually uh, pick up uh, the cost of that. I think that's what has to happen. And then um, by people then saying, you know, we want to thank such and such uh, 501c3 organization because of them, we were able to make this ADA compliant because my partner and I didn't have an extra 50000 in our budget, but we wanted to do the right thing, and we are so grateful for X. Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. YZ, 501c3, or this one. And I think that's going to send a message home to people that, hey, you know, when you give a donation to these charities, what's going on with it? Where's the money going? And when they see the money being used in their local communities, I mean, I know from our chamber, when we go um, and sponsor a breakfast or a lunch for a hospital, um, we fed over 100, 200 people at a dinner at uh, I think it was um, in Ridgewood at the Valley Hospital Medical Center. And uh, people were like, oh, that's great. I said, well, we're a charity. So everything we do is all uh, philanthropic. Uh, our second goal is business. But the reason we're 501c3 is our first mission is doing things for others, is philanthropy. So I believe uh, it is education. I believe it's something we have to just keep you know, uh, chipping at. And eventually more and more people will get it. But it has to start with Washington. It has to start with, um, you know, updating the codes. I don't think this is something we can attack at a local level. I think this is something that has to be mandated from a federal level and then filtered down because there are just too many regulations and there's too many different ways that you could do something or not do something. Uh, my last question, Kurt, for you, because we're almost uh, running out of time, is uh, in websites, there's something called ADA compliancy. So what do we mean when we talk about a website having to be ADA compliant? Uh, websites being ADA compliant, um, you know, is, is looking at things as simple as the size of fonts we're using, the spacing in between the parts of the website because again if somebody has a dexterity issue and you're you're creating too much of an intricate use of the mouse um you know you're kind of ruling out a lot of computer users um again for um 
you know, the colorblind community or, you know, in terms of assistive technology, um, you know, the ADA law is there to, to make sure that when we're building, you know, this field of websites that people with disabilities can also access the website. So that's what ADA is describing is that, you know, friendliness, user friendliness for people with disabilities for whatever their circumstances may be. And so if somebody's a deaf, you know, a person who's deaf, then um, that they're getting the closed captioning or, you know, that you got the visual and the audio balanced out there. And, and um, it's something that can be used by all um, people browsing the, the internet. What we started doing, my marketing company started doing a little while ago for some of these large corporations is when they have a website, uh, we allow them to change the font size. So they can pick uh, what font size uh, through a few popular ones that they can see it at. And then what we do when it's um, someone, let's say, that's maybe colorblind, uh, is they have pages on the website that they can click on and it will read the entire page. This is a picture. Here is the caption. So I'm not saying every little thing can be done like that, but I think as long as the service that they're looking to access is available for them to understand and get enough information about it, I think that's really what ADA compliancy is. And it does take some planning. It does take some time uh, because Google right now is not really rewarding people for being ADA compliant. Maybe that'll change down the road. Uh, but they're not rewarding people. So I would think that if they decided to do that, more and more people would. But what I learned, Kurt, which was really interesting not too long ago, is that if you are a company and you are 15 or more employees, you can get uh, charged some hefty fines for not having an ADA compliant website. And that's going to be pretty soon. Not today, not tomorrow, but I know that'll be coming um, in the next couple of years you know, on the, uh, on the uh, roadmap. But my last question I have for you, Kurt, is this. So when we're talking about ADA today and what we can do, uh, what would you say the message is to everyone? Because we've talked about a lot. What would you like to leave our viewers with tonight uh, about ADA if there was like one or two or three points uh, that you really want to drive home? Because, again, we've talked about an awful lot, and we encourage you to uh, go back to our website and not only uh, watch uh, the show again, but... Um, because we're ADA compliant, you can also uh, read uh, the entire uh, transcript within a couple weeks. Um, so what do you have to say to that, Kurt? Well, I would say the thing that I have to share again, you know, I made a shift in my life. I did in business, they talk about pivots or whatever, and I transformed myself to run my life differently because of what I was shocked about and what I wanted to do about it in all areas of my life. So, you know, to me, it's, it's that consideration that if you're out there as a person in the disability community to really think about the opportunity we have to reconsider, you know, in the year and years ahead, what are we doing to better be available to be the educators as self-advocates and you know, being somebody from the community to help awareness to people outside of the community. And then people, like I said, where I came from, and I, I'm still on the fringes, they're still learning, you know, to think about what are we doing to attend to all these demographics to be available, and to just ask everything you do, is there, 
you know, might there be something about this that is making it tougher for anyone with a disability to um, to participate, you know, and and is there a full opportunity for them? Because that's, again, what I did with water skiing. I said, does a person have the full opportunity like I do? You know, if they have a disability, can they do what I do? And that wasn't the case. So I went out there to change that. We made huge strides in that. And I think everybody out there has that opportunity. And the question is, are you, are you up to that initiative? You know, that's what I'm looking at. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And what I tell people, if you cannot uh, be compassionate or you can't find a compassionate bone in your body, uh, which hopefully there is one somewhere, then to just picture yourself with a disability for a moment. Okay, Uh, whether that's having a broken leg or not being able to see and you can do this yourself. You can literally, you know, close your eyes and you can you can take away these senses for a moment. And even though it's pretend, imagine what it would be like if you had to live the rest of your life like that. Now, they do say when you lose a sense, the other one does um, get uh, a lot stronger. Uh, I recently learned that when someone uh, uh, is uh, blind there is a certain type of um, acoustic that bounces back on their tongue. And because of that, they're able to uh, get projections. And uh, that's something that I thought was amazing that, you know, you have that type of gift. So there are ways, but I would say just to be grateful for what you have and understand that, you know, you have uh, the ability of many of us to be able to walk, to see, to talk. And I go back to this last thing. When I broke my leg and I was on one of these uh, buses, it was a dialer ride because I couldn't drive with a broken leg. And uh, what uh, I learned was that I had to get a doctor's uh, certificate to be able to get on that bus. And every 30 days I had to get it re-upped. And they said, well, you know, you're a temporarist. What do you mean? Well, you're temporary. You know, once your leg heals, you're you're going to be off this, and you're not going to be able to use us anymore. You just have a temporary ability uh, to use this, so you're like on probation. I'm like, oh, so and I think that's good uh, that um, you know we have those type of things in place, but more services like that need to be in place, just like we have for the handicap uh, parking spaces. You know that there are things in place to help people understand that it's not something that we should abuse and it's something we should respect. And like I said, be grateful for what we have and try to help those that maybe don't have the senses uh, that we have. Kurt, this has been a really educational uh, time with you. Uh, If any of our viewers do want to reach out to you, what's the best way that they can get in contact with you? Uh, Well, I welcome people to call or text me. My phone number is 262-372- one seven five four and people can email me Kurt K U R T at the disability channel dot us and you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, and you can Google me. Um I'm open anyway. And when uh is your show for our viewers, the time and day? Uh the world of ability is every Saturday at three PM Eastern. Okay. And you can actually get to your show by going to the Transform You Podcast uh, dot com link, uh, as we are part of the Transform You Media Network, and you can look for that great 
icon, which is the world of ability. And if you don't know what that looks like, uh, it, it's pretty easy to find. Uh, it basically is a, is a world and it has uh, the world of ability. It's like blue and white. And then there's like a little uh, uh, device, I guess, with like a, a sonar kind of sending signals out for like a help, I guess, if I'm if I'm reading that correctly. Uh, but, you know, really educational, Kurt. This has been uh, very interesting to learn. And I hope that we've brought some perspective to many people that uh, maybe shy around uh, from things like this, because a lot of times people don't want to get involved. It's not because they're discriminating. It's because they don't know how to react. And I think that's something that our culture needs to learn, that it's okay to interact and, you know, not to be afraid, but to, you know, realize that everyone is a person. And that even though someone can't see you or can't talk to you, or maybe they don't have an arm, maybe they have a prosthetic arm that they can use signals. We didn't talk about that. They can actually make the arm move or do things like that. They're still a person. They still have feelings. And uh, they can still uh, enjoy life. And there's a lot of things you can do, and you can still be their friend. So there are definitely a lot of things that I hope uh, you know the world of ability brings to you. And also uh, today's uh, guest, Kurt. Russ Koff, again, I want to thank you for being on the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. It was a pleasure having you. And uh, we'll, we'll have more guests that will be talking about different types of disability devices because I think this is really important uh, to educate people on the technology uh, that is out there and that you really need to be paying attention to, especially if you're building a new home or you're building a new, a new office uh, or you have someone in your family that may be gets a disability later on in life. I hope not, but it's important that you get educated. So now when something happens, you're ready uh, to embrace it because you have the knowledge and the education. Thank you again, Kurt. You're welcome, John. Thanks for being a pro in practicing inclusion. It is my pleasure. Have a great rest of the weekend. Well, I'll tell you, Marcus, you know, that was interesting. Uh, you've talked to Kurt, I know, lots of times because oh, yeah. uh, you're with him in the other show. But did you learn anything new tonight from the interview that I had with him? You know, it's always eye-opening. And you do such an excellent job of asking the right questions to get these guys to open up. And I did definitely learn some good things. And it it, it definitely helps me to better appreciate just that community of people that goes underneath the radar. That's what I got most out of the conversation. Yeah, it's that he has a lot of potential, and I think the desire right now for people to want to help others with disabilities, I think is something that is not a uh, a luxury, but a necessity. And I think we need to embrace that. And really, we always talk about, you know, uh, whether it's racial discrimination or whether it's uh, sexual orientation discrimination or whether it's jobs or whatever other types of discrimination we have, we really don't talk about equality when it comes to disabilities. Right. It's like implied, but, you know, we always say that we don't discriminate for race, religion, orientation, sexual orientation, but we don't say disability. Why isn't that in that caveat? I'm missing. You're on track to graduate from a great school, but do you feel unsure of what's next? Top accounting firms want candidates like you with backgrounds outside the industry. Northeastern University's combined MS in accounting plus MBA will prepare you to launch your career in just 15 months. 
Develop accounting and business expertise and gain immersive experience through a paid corporate residency. RSVP to a virtual information session at northeastern.edu slash accounting events. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Sing something, Marcus. It should be in there. It really should. And it's, it's something that's so universal across the board. Anybody can, at any time of their life, can be affected by this. And it, it's got to be a bigger conversation. So I gladly appreciate you bringing on, Kurt. You definitely did your job today. Well, thank you. And I, and I appreciate, again, Kurt, for taking his time to, to be on our show. But, you know, speaking about... Um, things that are happening in the world and and technology. And that brings us always back to our conversation. You know what I'm going to say? COVID. Mm, yeah, something that's definitely universal. Yeah, that's very universal. Uh, five ways tech is being used to fight COVID. This is interesting. So number one, Amazon uh, Web Services, or AWS, is launching a new global initiative. Uh, they're committing $20 million for Amazon customers working on diagnostic solutions for COVID-19. The funding will be provided as AWS in-kind credits and technical support to help research teams use cloud technology to tackle this new monumental challenge. That's nice. I, I think that's a really a good use of their money and their resources. So another way is people are using 3D printers, Marcus, to make needed products, whether that's... Uh, masks or other types of things, other PPOE uh, uh, equipment, uh, and just things that we need every day um, to use 3D printers. So I think a PPE is really changing. Uh, another thing that's happening is that manufacturing companies are stepping up to produce supplies. And I think uh, we need to you know, tip our hats off to all these companies yeah. that are normally making products uh, whether we're talking about beer or we're talking about wine or we're talking about other supplies. And they're retooling their assembly line to make things like uh, the, the PPE uh, and also to make things such as the uh, disinfectant lotions. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really great uh, that we as a country are stepping up and that so many of these companies are doing this. And you know something? They're not really making any money doing this. No, They're doing not. this yeah. just to help our country. Mm -hmm. You know, I know one particular uh, company that actually was bringing so much solution and they were providing it for truckers. Not too long ago, I was on a national truck podcast and I was so grateful to hear that this one company was just bringing in truckloads of this so that the truckers could go and fill up a small bottle, a big bottle, uh, because there really wasn't a place for them to to go get some. What were they going to do, stop in a, in a quick check or a convenience store? I don't think so. And yeah. a lot of these trucking places, you know, they had it, but they were charging the truckers a lot of money for it. And so I think it was great that this company was able to bring in these truckloads 
uh, of liquid so that they could fill up whatever containers they had and not have to pay for it. I think that was just really paying it forward. Google, who we've mentioned once or twice before, is using DeepMind to help fight COVID. Google's using technology to fight COVID in two major ways. First, the company is working with the United States government to develop an educational website to host resources on COVID-19. That's nice. And the idea they're saying is to create a central location, or I guess I'll call it a repository, where people can learn about the information and still be able to sift through the misinformation. Because that's always the challenge, whether you're on a social media platform or whether you're on a website, which is the right information. And as part of Google's fight against COVID, the company has contributed its DeepMind program to its AlphaFold system. Both systems are part of the Google Artificial Intelligence uh, Solution Initiative. And uh, they're adding the DeepMind, which is going to aim to predict the protein structures related to the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19 in order to create effective treatments. I think that's just stellar. Oh, yeah, this is definitely great. Uh, this is definitely going to go a long way as we continue to rally forward here. And HPE Aruba create a medical ferry. I think this is kind of hot. Uh, the Aruba and HPE company installed a network on a ferry that turned into a medical ship to help people affected by COVID in the Nigeria region. And Aruba is continuing to provide pop-up COVID-19 clinics and temporary hospitals across the United States, the United Kingdom, and the European Union. I think that's amazing. Yeah, that is. That's pretty amazing. Uh, these these things uh, are essential, and it's good that we, we got a all-hands-on-deck approach to this this effort here. And, you know, Marcus, it's not really about politics, whether it's Republican, whether it's Democrat, whether it's independent or whether it's some new party that hasn't even been created yet. It's about working together for the common good of everyone, the American people, uh, you know, the businesses that are here and also the world at large. But I do feel that we have a service to the American people first. Uh, meaning that we need to take care of the American people. We need to make sure there's jobs here. And we really need to start producing more stuff, Marcus, in the United States. I agree with you. You know, that that is definitely something that is so important because if if we're just not, if we're just not creating any value at all, uh, and we're you know steady taking in more and more uh, everybody else's stuff. Uh, you know, before for, before long, you know, um, uh, we're going to be overtaken uh, by by everybody else. And you know, um, what 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 value do is the American dollar then at that point? I think there's a couple great things. Now, I know the pandemic happened. We'll say it's not a great thing that it happened, but I have to disagree in one regard. We all got a very great learning experience. Many of us learned that we're more powerful than we think. We got a chance, Marcus, to unplug from the day-to-day world. We also got a chance to not only unplug from the world, but to learn how to embrace an emergency. Because we really never had an emergency So I think people needed to understand that even though we have a government, 
everything does come down to, I don't want to say every man for himself, but I still believe it comes down to ecosystems. And right. that's in your community, in your town. Before we even rely on the national government, we need to come together as a collective consortium of people and businesses that can work together and help each other. That's what I think I've learned, uh, frankly. Yeah, we, we see this with what's what's going on in Texas right now. Uh, there's been a collective uh, a bunch of people that's you know come together to like try to help the t- uh, the fellow Texians down there uh, with the electric uh, electric audiences that they had down there, and 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 it, it makes you think to yourself, wow, man, you know they didn't they didn't really have nothing prepared to like you know c- combat uh, the allergies. They, they go short of food, short of water, you know, so. These things is happening in our very own country, and this is terrible. I I agree with you. And I think now people are starting to open up their eyes, Marcus, and realize that, you know, every day you may go to work, you may work from home, whatever it is, but there is more to life than going to a job every day. Uh, There's more to life than just going through the motions Because I think many of us, when we were in these more extreme lockdowns, I don't know about you, but we kind of just felt like we were going home and, you know, eating and going to sleep or staying home, having lunch, having dinner, going to sleep, and then getting up the next morning, taking a shower and doing it all over again. And it was like this repetitive process where you really had no contact with anyone except when you went out and you were like uh, all... uh, you know, suit up with armor to go buy uh, <laughs> yeah. a single a roll of paper towels or right. toilet paper or just to get milk or other staples for the home. Mm-hmm. We really are starting to appreciate that we have to give our life substance. We have to enjoy every single moment of our life because when we look at our life as a machine that is route, our life goes by very quickly. And I think if we can enjoy those moments in life, we could just maybe, Marcus, slow it down just a little bit. Definitely. You, you, you're on the right track there, and you're really putting the message out there. And, and, and I can see it all written in bold. So this is, this is so true, and I, I hope moving forward into the, the coming years here, you know, we, we start seeing some real transformation in the way we do things. Yeah, absolutely. I am I am so glad to see that people are coming together. Like I said, as as a, they're coming together as, as as a collective, and I think that is something that uh, we have to understand. And and people that don't want to understand that, I think they're doomed for failure. But uh, enough of my my rant on that. Recently, there was <laughs> yeah. a spaceship uh, that took off. You probably heard about it, and yeah. uh, it took off without a hitch, and it landed without a hitch, but then. <laughs> It exploded seconds later. I don't think that was a very successful test flight, if I do say so myself. No, this is that was the SpaceX's Starship prototype. And they're all raving that it took up so well into space and it landed so well. But then it exploded. I wouldn't think it landed so well if it exploded seconds later. I agree it took off well. But I just can't agree that it landed that well. 
No, you can't really call call any uh, explosion a success. You know, <laughs> uh, if if it's going to explode seconds later, you know this this is concerning. Um, that means someone didn't do something right uh, somewhere. So you know they got to tighten up on this. Uh, they got an incredible program, none the least, over at SpaceX. It's, it's incredible what they're doing. They're they're you know. Uh, doing things at, uh, at light and speeds over there. And, and mm-hmm. I think you're moving way too fast. <laughs> to the f- <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I think everyone is very um, zealous between, uh, you know, Mr. Musk and uh, also the uh, CEO of uh, Amazon, who stepped down, as you know, not too long ago. I think it's that battle. And that's what's making this so hard is that, they're each fighting to get something that's going to be first, but they're really not putting the R&D into it that I would expect as an engineer. It's just being done very carelessly, to be honest with you. Yeah. But in other news, General Motors is actually looking to build a second uh, battery factory in the United States. That's actually good news that they decided to stay home and and not send it overseas. Uh, They were talking about, you know, before all of this happened, there was talks about, you know, sending this thing somewhere um, in a different country. But it's it's good to know that they're going to be staying close here. I think a lot of people are realizing that the initial cost to do business in the United States are going to be more money. But. In the long run, it is going to pay off because of the jobs, because of the uh, accessibility of product. I think that's what many of these companies are starting to understand. And already the two companies, uh, you know, uh, General Motors, uh, basically in the LG Chem Limited, uh, you know, they they are um, basically – building a 2.3 billion battery plant in Northeast Ohio. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Ohio is expected to open next year and eventually supply enough batteries to power hundreds of thousands of vehicles annually. The new plant is likely to be a similar size investment um, that some of the other people have said and have seen that they recently uh, opened up uh, in, in Detroit. And I think this is the right way. And if we just keep setting this bar and this example, hopefully, Marcus, more people are going to take this example. That's what I'm praying for. Yeah, it's it's like 
what you know the the, the guy we were just talking about, Elon Musk said is is that if um if more automakers took on this 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 mindset, we can lower the cost of cars uh, cars we can. Uh, ready, rally forward into making more electric cars readily available to people. Um, we can innovate, you know, right here. We don't have to, you know, send things elsewhere and and slow down the process. And we don't have to pay for logistics costs either, because exactly. it's going to be a lot cheaper if they're going to be uh, right in our own city or right in our own state or right in our own country. It's going to be a lot cheaper to manage the logistics. But we're going to talk about another friend of ours, and that's Google. <laughs> Google's user tracking uh, crackdown has advertisers bracing for change. Companies that gather data on their customers are going to be in the best position to weather Google's decision to rein in tracking. I'm a little concerned about this because there isn't really a standard. And just the other day, I was learning even more. We always knew that they captured data on us. Right. But... One of the platforms, Facebook, actually has something I'm not sure if you all know about it. It's called off, uh, basically off-site data or off-web data of Facebook. And what that is, Marcus, is when you install your app, your Facebook app on your phone, you're basically giving it permission to learn everything about the apps you use. If that's dating sites, if that's uh, buying a pizza, if that's Grubhub. Uh, buying tickets with Fandango if we're going to the movies again. They're starting to learn about stuff you do, including what you're shopping on Amazon. And all these companies, Marcus, are sharing this information. They're all guilty. Yeah. I just see that when we have things for free, there's a problem. And I feel that as long as our country is not paying for things, then there's a problem with how we can orchestrate that. If we're paying for something, then I don't think they have the right to take our data. So this is why we're speculating to why certain types of advertising may cost more money for users to have because it will protect their data. If that's going to become a reality. These are just some of the things that they're toying with. But I really feel, Marcus, that this is not just Google. It's not just Facebook. It's not just Amazon. We're talking about a multi-trillion dollar industry. Mm-hmm. These companies, Marcus, don't make money off of the little ads that you and I buy. They don't. No. They make their money, it's not nice to say, by exploiting the data they collect on us. So you can go into Facebook. You can delete this data But even though you delete it, I really don't think it's gone. I think they still have it. And they say that they'll stop collecting it. And when they stop collecting it, then you don't have access to their app from another app. Like if you were posting from Facebook to Instagram, but they own each other, you wouldn't be able to do that if you didn't allow data sharing. So I feel that they're not really explaining to people what they're doing, Marcus. And that's the biggest problem, I say. Yeah, and the you know government, they're either they're not hip on it or they are somewhat hip on it, and they're you know are being lobbied. So, with that being said, you know we we become their slaves 
the the more and more we were, right we 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 are just surrendering to it for free you know as you said if, if we're not paying for it you know we're we're the slaves i think we have to ask ourselves do we want things for nothing and have the possibility that our data may be compromised i mean you pay for an alexa for example okay so this is a, a perfect uh classic case you're paying to have alexa every month okay you pay for this fee to basically you buy the device is what you do i don't think they have a monthly fee anymore they waived it so that's really what it is you pay for the device but every month your service is free right so if they charged you a fee like 19.99 20.99 would people want to pay that and would companies really want to do that because now they're losing big revenue mm-hmm. i don't think it's a problem that they're taking the data as long as people consent to it but if you don't know what data they're taking it's like somebody stealing candy from a baby oh yeah and you just let them have it because that's just how it goes. Yeah, it's going to always be implied consent. So, so we'll have to see what's going to happen. Yeah. I just see there's probably going to be some type of lawsuit that's going to happen. I don't know when. Yeah, the whistle is going to have to be blown sooner or later. Yeah, and 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 when it's blown, I don't think they're going to be able to reblow it again. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to blow uh, a separation. I think what should happen, Marcus, is companies like Facebook, Instagram. I think there needs to be a breakup of a monopoly. Yeah. I think that like Facebook uh, has too much of control in that platform. Maybe the advertising should go to one company and maybe the other should go to another company. But when you break it up, are they going to want to still be part of it? Because advertising is their main piece. Mm-hmm. I just feel that that's what has to be done. We need to break these companies. Like they can't own more than than what they have and if and if they and if they do that that's going to that's going to be a problem. Yeah, totally. But our last story for the night uh comes to us courtesy from a little uh, an area in uh India. The multilingual voice app helping Indians shop online. This is interesting. So uh, they tackle the new language barrier. The company's target market is people who don't live in cities and do not speak English. Hmm. That's very interesting. That is very So the internet was supposed to be an economic leveler, is what everyone says. Mm -hmm. But uh, only a small proportion of Indians are using the internet services for digital transactions. I did not know that, Marcus. They are not using it as much as we are in the United States. So it's creating a huge gap between those who participate in the digital economy and those who can't. So with Nikki, they are now bridging the gap. And in northern Indian state of uh, Ragashathan, the app has been used for more than 10 million online transactions since 2018. And Mm -hmm. by 550,000 households, Nikki is currently available in Hindi uh, Bengali, uh, Tamil, and English, a common second language in some of the uh, India areas. So the company is looking to introduce seven more languages and hoping to expand to 10 more states by mid-2022, 
So this is very interesting. You know, we always thought that India was ahead of everything, but I never realized that they had a disadvantage. Did you? No, but what this tells you, this is a real clear indicator that they're they're starting to have more buying power, and so they need to uh, bridge this gap. That could be good for us, Marcus, and it could be bad. Because I still feel that when product is purchased, whether we're talking about masks or we're talking about cell phones, nine out of ten things you buy right now come from China. And I was talking to a manufacturer that makes uh, shower heads not too long ago. And the person was telling me, you know, John, we have 90% of our products or 95% of it is made in the United States. I said, well, that's fantastic. What about the other 10%? Well, the other 10% is because I can't get magnets um, any cheaper than I can in China. So that tells me something. It tells me we as a country need to look at what we're weak on and start taking our government to build up these weak areas in our economy. I think our technology is good, but it's not as good as China. No. I mean, they are just blowing ahead of us. Yeah, and, and the more like countries like India get more buying power and, and their gap is closed, um, they, they, they only, you know, shopping the, the countries that are producing like China. You know? So, you know, if, if everything you buy online comes from China, you know, what, what, what do you think is happening to their economy? It's only making their economy stronger and making ours less. Exactly. And it's weakening our dollar. Yeah. It's weakening our dollar. So as these, I'll call them micro changes in our world happen, because that's what's really going on. There are these micro transitions and nobody sees, you know, the writing on the wall. Like, for example, with 9-11, we were given so many signs, but our government never acted. Why are we waiting until the whole house is built till we react when we see them starting to pour the foundation? Well, I, I think at this point, the foundations are already being poured over there, John. Well, they got the foundation, and they, and they might have they might have the first floor done, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it might be a fortress now, and, you know, at this point now, we're just, we're just sitting we here waiting. We need to figure out yeah. as a country, Marcus, what we can do to be sole source. What can yeah. we do better than anybody? Mm-hmm. And we need to capitalize on that. We have the intelligence to manufacture very great things here in the United States, but it costs money. Yeah. It costs money. So I feel that whether we're talking manufacturing or whether we're talking about, uh, you know, textiles or uh, whether we're talking about service businesses, we're always going to be getting people from these other countries trying to come in. But what I'm seeing a lot, Marcus, whether it's online or wherever, these people are trying to come in. And the first question I ask these people is, uh, where did you learn how to do that? Oh, my team does that. Okay. So I ask the next important question, Marcus. Where did your team learn how to do that? Oh, they, they know. I understand they know. 
But where did they go to school to learn that? No, they've been doing it a long time. And they dodge this point. And I'm so sick of this because they don't give people in the United States a truth. They give us a snow job. Yeah. And then what happens is somebody goes and hires them to do work and then they're not happy. Or you get people that you ask them to do something for you and something like giving you a quote or putting it in writing or giving you a reference, they like zone out, like they don't get it. And then when you tell them something simple like, you know, this is my time zone, respect it. They shouldn't be messaging you at 11 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning. I have learned, Marcus, that these other countries, I have a lot of respect for these countries when I communicate with them. I would expect the same level of respect when they communicate with me. What time do you go to bed? What is your time zone? Okay, it's 2 o'clock here, so it's 2 a.m. What's the latest you work? And sometimes they do work weird hours. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PREP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive, who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforumc.org. But it's important to understand that standard because I feel that they just think they can just knock our door down because we're desperate for them. We're not desperate for them. And I think we need to send that message back, Marcus, that we're very intelligent here in the United States. And there's a lot we can do. And we have degrees and education to back it up. They have an empty promise that they've learned from some YouTube course. And and I think that's a problem. I think that is what's wrong with the economy. People are saying they know stuff. They don't have the field experience. They have some book experience. But would you hire somebody that doesn't have field experience for your business? I wouldn't. But they just keep coming back and saying, hey, you know, we can do this for you. We can do this for you. And when you ask them where your references, what can you do? Where did you learn this? They dodge you. And it's almost this whole culture. But a lot of the guests, I got to tell you that, um, you know, I've interviewed in the past and I have some others coming up. They have a different level of ethic. It's almost like when I hear about what they're doing, uh, whether it's being in China or other parts of the country, they seem to approach this totally different than the rest of these people. It's almost like they came out of two different molds. Mm -hmm. And these people get that they have to work. The other people don't get it. They just feel that they're going to work their way in. And this is the real caveat. I want to share this with you. A lot of times these people come out to you and say, okay, I don't want any money. Okay, I don't want any money. I, uh, I just want to help you. I want to I learn from the experience. And then what they try to do is they don't take any money, but then they give you a ridiculous ad budget and tell you that it's going to cost this amount of money. So, well, the ad budget on Facebook is only $10. How did it get to $300 a day or $300 a week? It's like they, they try to snow job you. And I just wish there was some way that the Federal Trade Commission could protect us 
as citizens because you know you have things like PayPal, who's not even a bank; they use other brand processors. There's no way to protect a lot of these people, Marcus. They put some of their lives' money on the line, and these people are taking their money and and having a field day with it, and not really doing what it is they say they're going to do. There's no level, Marcus, of accountability. That's what's wrong with us doing business with a lot of the internationals. It's not everywhere, but it's some places. And there's just too much of it going on. I, I completely agree with you. You know, I have had that same personal experience. You know, <laughs> it's sad to say, you know, but, you know, when you have had the, 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 the personal experience, you know, it does make you wonder, like, you know, why are we, you know, being treated this way and you know why why our government's not coming to our defense it's like anyone not saying anything or or are we are are we the the, the, just the silent uh entrepreneurs who just continue to just take it uh to the heart and 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 just cry in a corner and then come out and say okay well i just rally on you know and, and so it, it comes down to two things, Marcus. One is I tell people to do two things. Mm-hmm. First thing you should do is you should put the money in an escrow. Yeah. Now, there are lots of companies online that do escrows, and they range from 1%, 5%, 10%, and they hold the money in escrow. I had a gentleman one time, and I said, gee, I'm going to put the money in the escrow. You know what he came back and said to me? Oh, what, you, you don't trust me? Well, no, it's not that I don't trust you. It's a company policy. Oh, I want all the money up front. Well, that's not how we do it. Okay, well, what, why why don't you trust me? I'm a good person. And when somebody has to defend themselves like that, I have a problem. The other thing I do is I also test people. And I say, okay, I have a question for you. Or I have something I'd like you to do, a simple test. And they either get very defensive like they don't want to do it because they're not getting paid. It's a simple thing. Or uh, I don't have time now. The famous one is I'm busy on other projects. Like I can't work with you now. That's the big, the, the best one. You get too technical with your specifications. I'm busy right now. I can't help you. I'm on other projects. Well, if you're so busy, why don't you flag that you're not available? Oh, okay. That's a good idea. Maybe I should do that one. Thank you. It's like, do they think we're stupid, Marcus? <laughs> yeah, apparently they do. You know, so yeah, it's it's, it's something that's got to definitely improve. And and um, I, I think they watch too many movies over there, and they got they got the wrong impression about you know how things are supposed to be. I tell people when you have a job, get multiple quotes. The first thing they always do is say, what's your budget? Well, why is my budget even relative to the job? What's it going to cost? If I don't want to spend it, then I'm not going to do the job, right? Well, what's your budget? And we'll work in there. And it's like they magically set the price at your budget. And and I've noticed that. So when you try to ask, well, how long is it going to take? Oh, it's going to take a long time. And they just give you the story that the work is not as easy as you think it is. And a lot of the stuff I know firsthand. And I tell them my experience and I explain things. And I was like, look, this is going to take this time. 
oh, no, it's not going to take that kind of time. It's going to take much more. Well, why? Or they lie to you, and then they have to find another resource, Marcus, to get it done. Well, I thought you were that person. Oh, no, I'm working with that person, too. We're all working together. Well, but are you that person? Yeah, no, I'm that person, too. I do that thing, too. Well, if you're that person, then why is it you don't understand anything? No, no, we're, we're going to have conversation later. We conversate about everything. They invent their own words. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then when you try to get them back, they're magically not available. Oh, I'm having dinner now. Well, when do you work? Uh, it depends. And once you pay them, they're not available anymore. It's like they disappear. I recommend doing escrows because escrows are going to protect you. And um, having milestones. And if people don't attribute the milestones, whatever the project, whatever it is, have everything in writing. I also recommend doing a video recording. If they're not willing to put it in writing, do a video recording. And then submitting a piece of writing and saying that this video is the contract. You hereby agree that this video now when these people are overseas they the contracts are like toilet paper okay can't do anything with them until they come to the united states but what you can do is you can use that against them for proof so if they don't do something properly you can go to your uh person that's doing the uh the holding of the money they won't release it or if there's an issue where they didn't deliver as promised you have proof right that they didn't do what you asked and I find very few people, Marcus, want to get on camera or be recorded about what they're going to do. When you get somebody who wants to do a recording, they're usually not going to screw you. Oh, yeah. They usually are doing that because they see the value of the relationship. But like I said, it's not everybody. Well, I hope you have enjoyed this show. I mean, we are at the end of another show. I don't know where these shows go. Uh, we have another great guest, as of course you probably knew. Uh, next week, we have a Dr. Farshid uh, Pavlani. Uh, he is a doctor and very interesting doctor. Going to get to talk to him about sustainability. And he's an expert when it comes to things like the waste of a company and how we put so much waste out there that we could be turning into resources for our own companies. So that's going to be a, a great one. And I do want to allude to, we have another great guest coming up, but at the end of the month, we have a gentleman who is going to talk to us. He is the first man to ever make a cell phone call in the United States, ever. So uh, the first cell phone call ever uh, to originate uh, was with a gentleman named Martin Cooper. And so we're going to get to talk to him. I'm really excited to talk to him. And um, he's uh, just uh, an interesting man from reading his bio and what he's doing. He's another engineer. So really got some great, great people coming up. And uh, I want to let you know that if you have an idea, ladies and gentlemen, for a show for the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show, you can visit us at jmor.com. You can go to where it says reach out, contact us, and tell us uh, – what you would like to see on the show. Who would you like to see on the show? Uh, would you like to be a guest on the show? Please remember that it is about value. Uh, if you're coming on the show to sell us a, a phone or a pencil sharpener or uh, any other type of gadget, 
well, we're probably not going to accept your application. So we're looking for people, entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, executives, thought leaders, innovators from around the globe that are using technology and have a story to share. Uh, I'm not looking for people that wrote software and are looking to sell the software. I'm looking for people that have a story. Like, why did you write that software? And what is that software doing? And why is it different than other people? And if you have a value statement and your interview does not have plans for telling me the price, well, we're probably a match. But if you have the agenda of you wanting to tell my audience about the three tiers you offer and how much it costs for the removal of the support agreement, we're probably not the show for you. You probably should go to Facebook or uh, LinkedIn or Instagram and buy some ads. Um, you know, um, Or if you'd like, uh, you can talk to our ad department and uh, be an advertiser of our program. But our show is about value. So I hope that uh, you'll continue to tune in to us. Uh, we're expanding our network and our reach, and I hope you will see that we're bringing you some amazing content. So continue to share our channel, tell other people about it, uh, like us. And, uh, if there's something you like about our show, tell us. And if there's something you want us to change about our show, tell us that too. Uh, the show's here for you. We're here to provide tremendous value for, for you, for your family, for your friends, for your colleagues, for your associates, and for your loved ones. And I want to leave you with this message before we head into another great weekend. We're in March. The weather's getting a little bit warm. You know, be smart. Uh, if you're going outside, take a nice walk. You don't have to wear a mask if there's not people around you. But carry the mask in your pocket. Uh, if you come across some dog walkers or maybe some people by you, don't be a jerk. Put your mask on and, and be respectable. You know, we're going to get through this, but we really need to understand that us getting through this is about human compassion. We're all going through the same challenge. So let's realize respect. Let's treat people as people. And I think when we do that, you're going to start to see that other people are actually not as bad as you portray them to be. I'm John C. Morley, serial entrepreneur with the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show, and my co-host Marcus, I always want to thank you for joining us. And we're going to see you next Friday, right here, 5.30 p.m. Take care, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Jay Moore Weekly Technology Show, where we answer your questions about how technology is supposed to work and sometimes why you have challenges getting it to work that way. For more IT support and tips, just text IT support to 888 That's IT support to 888 and you'll get tips on technology. I'll see you next week right here on the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. Remember, jmor.com. Do you suffer from chronic hip, knee, or shoulder pain? Avoid drug dependency and surgery with Downtown's Healthcare in Denver. Downtown's Healthcare offers regenerative therapies that stimulate the body's self-healing process. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992, now in Lowry or downtown.